Good evening. Welcome to tonight's uh, midweek service. I'm glad uh, we could tune in. It's a blessing whenever two or more are gathered together. Um, God, God is here, and most importantly, God is pleased. Amen. God is always pleased that uh, a group of believers assemble together, either to pray or to break bread, as we say in our church parlance, which means to share the word of God. Uh, so without much we do, let's get into a little prayer and get right into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening as we come before your word. We pray that the Holy Spirit will teach us the word, will lead us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, last week we learned on the parable of the yeast, which can be found in two scripture references, Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, and Luke 13, verse 20 to 21. So we dealt with Matthew chapter 13, verse 33 in particular. But even if you read Luke's account, it's basically the same, very identical, if you put the scripture side by side. And we did an exposition on the word, East. I've come to realize that sometimes to understand some of the parables, you will have to do a word study on some of the key words of the parable that seems to stand out. And in that parable, what really stood out was yeast. And from that, we looked at it from the Old and the New Testament, respectively, and it was conclusively evident that yeast does not represent a good virtue. Symbolically, it represents sin, and it is an ungodly mixture. Anything ungodly mixing with godly things is yeast or leaven, as the Bible will call it. So the lesson from the parable of the yeast is to beware of sin unchecked among godliness, which is like yeast. It corrupts everything, right? So one of the examples of yeast we um, cited to bring this truth home was in First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, which talks about evil company. They are like yeast. They corrupt good manners or corrupt good character. So the three parables that we've done so far, that's the parable of the tears, um, the parable of the yeast, and we've done one more. Oh, I shouldn't forget this one. The parable of the test, the parable of the yeast, and the parable of the master seed. Yes, all three parables, they buttress strongly on one point. Corruption can be nested in the midst of kingdom community. And the fact that we want to maximize our sphere of influence for the kingdom of God we should also make it a habit that we are also on the lookout for anything sinful, which is like yeast, so that it will not have its habitation in the midst of a kingdom community. So for me, these um, three parables have really ministered to me. And the fact that Jesus used these three parables just to explain one point means it is something that we should take note of. Amen. So uh, sin, like yeast, can corrupt if it goes unchecked. 
as Christians, we have to come to a place where we will have zero tolerance for sin. Zero compromise. We shouldn't compromise when it comes to ungodliness and godliness. We shouldn't compromise when it comes to evil and light. We shouldn't compromise when it comes to sin and righteousness. It makes it clear we shouldn't compromise. Else, we will be surprised at the yeast effect of sin, which can easily corrupt. Amen. All right, so let's move on to today. Today, we will do a two-in-one special. We are looking at two parables from two verses of Scripture. And why are we doing two parables today? Because basically, they convey the same truth. And it doesn't have so much volume. So I believe we can do that in one sitting or one session. All right. So go with me to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 to 46. And this particular parable is only referenced in Matthew. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 to 46. We are on lesson four and we are looking at the parables of the hidden treasure and the valuable pearl. The parables of the hidden treasure and the valuable pearl. And we are doing that from two verses. Verses 44 to 46 I read. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who then he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. So like I said, in this scripture reading are two parables. So let's tackle the first parable. The first parable of the hidden treasure narrates about a man on a field who found the treasure. And when he found the treasure, he evoked a certain emotion. It was an emotion of joy. He was just happy to find a treasure. And he did something amazing. He went and sell all that he had just to buy that treasure on the field. So this man really satisfied his longing and his desire. His desire was to find treasure. That was why he was on the field. His desire was to find treasure. And when he found it, he was joyful. And he did something sacrificial. He sold everything he had in his possession just to buy that field because he saw treasure in that field. And this parable really goes straight to illustrate the sum of man's heart and his desire for us, the hidden treasure. In this story, we have to see how much our salvation is worth for it to be called free. You know, the fact that salvation is called free doesn't mean it's cheap. It's called free because it's on someone's account and it's at someone's expense. It is not called free because it's cheap. I want you to understand that salvation is free, not because it's cheap. 
It is free because it is at someone's expense and on someone's account. That is why it is free. And this story conveys that truth to us. The son of man in this story is what I will call the kinsman redeemer. And for you to understand the kinsman redeemer, I want you to see a picture of that in Ruth chapter 3, verse 8 to 9. Ruth chapter 3, verse 8 to 9. Ruth chapter 3, verse 8 to 9. I'm reading this in the New Living Translation. Around midnight, Boaz sadly woke up, turned over, he was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Or another word is kinsman redeemer. Who is a kinsman redeemer? A kinsman redeemer is a male relative who normally acted on behalf of a relative who was in trouble in danger, in a need, or even dead. And this is a very interesting story because if you read the story very carefully, um, when um, Naomi went back to where he, she came from, she sold the land that uh, was for her husband, Elimelech, and Elimelech was Boaz's brother. So they are, they are relatives. That's why Ruth used the word, you are our family redeemer, or you are a kinsman redeemer. And in those days, to restore the name of a dead person, because a woman did not really have that right, you needed a family relative or a kinsman redeemer to buy the land. It's a form of redemption. And then you restore the dead man's name on the property so that the widow could be insured for life. So if you read this story carefully, especially in chapter four, when the transaction came, it, it was supposed to happen between an unnamed gentleman and Boaz. And the unnamed gentleman was going to buy the land of Naomi and also buy the land of Ruth the Moabites, which was uh, a condition but the condition given to the unnamed gentleman was when you buy the land you will have to restore the new king james is the word perpetuate you have to perpetuate the dead relative and then the unnamed gentleman said look uh, it's going to ruin my inheritance so i pass and this is where boaz came in so if you even read the story carefully in the man chapter uh, roof chapter four i'm sorry Boaz was not the first choice buyer. He was the second choice buyer. And I don't know what sort of foresight that Boaz had. But to cut the long story short, Boaz bought the land. And when he bought the land, he also redeemed Ruth and married her. And out of their union was the lineage of Jesus. Why? Because... Ruth gave birth to Obed. Ruth and, Ruth and Boaz gave birth to Obed. 
Obed gave birth to Jesse. Jesse gave birth to David. And from David to Jesus is 14 generations. So from David, 14 generations came Jesus. You see, so why 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 did that happen? It happened because of Ruth became the subject of being redeemed by a family um, redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. Boaz redeemed Ruth by buying the land so that the land will not go to any captor and then also redeeming Ruth in addition. And that's powerful. And when we read this story, this parable about the man who walked into the treasure field and who bought the field because he found treasure on the field, it mirrors that of Boaz's actions. And that is why the Lord is also known as a kinsman redeemer. He's a kinsman redeemer. Now, back to the parable. I want us to pay attention to some key words that are used in this scripture. The parable, the first one, that's the parable of the hidden treasure. The first has to do with found. Found. And it's important for us to attribute the man in this picture as the son of man. Man can't find God or find Christ. That's why the man in this parable cannot represent anybody else than Christ. Because the Bible lets us know one of Christ's mandates that he came to seek that which was lost. Sometimes I hear certain terminologies. We, so maybe sometimes a Christian is given a testimony and he will say words like, when I found Christ, you didn't find Christ. You were lost. None of us here are Christians because we found Christ. I understand it. Maybe it's something that we say unconsciously, man. It may not be, you know, uh, something that we put too much thought into. But we are all recipients of salvation, not because we found Christ. We can't find Christ. In this parable, the man who, who, who was looking for treasure in the field found the treasure. We were found. So we didn't find Christ. We rather received him. And why did we receive him? We received him because he was revealed to us. And how was he revealed to us? He was revealed to us through the preaching of the word. Are you understanding me? So man can't find God or Christ. God reveals. It's rather God that does the finding and it's God that does the seeking. I am, I am a Christian not because I found Christ. I am a Christian because God found me. It was by his message. You are a Christian not because you found Christ or you found God. No, Christ found you. So 
this story about the man walking in the field, searching and looking for a treasure really represents the heart of God. God found us, and that is why he made himself available. He made himself revealed so that once the word of God is preached, he will be near us that we can receive him as our Lord and personal Savior. Are you understanding me? So it's God that does the finding, not man. And then another thing that you have to look in this parable of the hidden treasure is cell. It uses the word sell. Now, this word sells, it talks of a transaction. Okay? So, to us, we didn't do anything. There was no transaction on our part. If it is transactional, then salvation is not a work of grace. Christ, rather, who made salvation free, he actually did the transaction on our part. And how did he do it? He came to exchange his pristine and divine qualities for a body. All right? That's, that's where the cell comes in, the transaction. It's talking about a transaction. You and I didn't do any transaction. That's why salvation is of grace. That's why my earlier remark is that salvation is free, but it is not cheap. You see, you can have, uh, from, from just this scripture, I realized something that you can have two kinds of free. You can have free because it's cheap. And you can also have free because it is paid by someone and it's at someone's expense or on his account. Uh, two kinds of free. So not everything free is cheap. There are some things that are free. It has to be free because it's cheap. This salvation is free, not because it's cheap. It's free because it is at someone's expense and it's on someone's account. That is why it's free. So that's where the cell comes in. The cell lets us know that there was a transaction. Okay, so let me uh, support these two. Um, um, and let me support um, the second point I just said with two scriptures. Philippians chapter 2. And I know we've read this several times, but it will be good to read it. Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, did not consider a robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of man. You see the transaction there. The sale, there was a transaction. Jesus is not a man. Jesus is not a son of man. But because of our salvation, he had to take on the form of a man and the likeness of a man, become a born servant. But he is God. He is equal with God. That is his nature. There was a sale. There was a transaction that took place so that you and I could experience salvation, which is free in nature. 
And the fact that salvation is free in nature doesn't mean it is cheap. That's what I want you to get. It is free because it is on someone's account. It is free because someone paid for it. There was a transaction that took place. And that transaction that had to take place was Christ had to descend from his pristine heights, his divine quality, and take on the form and the likeness of a man so that we could experience salvation. So that's where the cell comes from. And then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says that, for we have been saved by grace through faith, not of works that we should boast. Not of works that we should boast. So salvation is free. And the reason why salvation is free is because of Philippians chapter 2. Someone has made a transaction on our behalf. So in this story, it would be erroneous, theologically speaking, to compare that man who is on the field to another man or another preacher. Because nobody can fit that bill. Nobody can foot that bill. Nobody can fulfill the requirements of the transaction for you to get the treasure. Are you understanding me? Then the third thing that I want you to see in this key, um, um, the, the key word of this parable is buys. Buys. And that's why before we even went to the narration of the parable, I prefaced it by reading Boaz in Ruth chapter 3, verse 8 to 9, who served as a kinsman redeemer. So Christ, like Boaz in this scripture, just acted as our kinsman redeemer. Kinsman means family. He acted as our family redeemer and he bought the field. That means he redeemed us. And how did Christ redeem us? He redeemed us through the cross. He redeemed us by, 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 by shedding his precious blood. He bought the field. That is why when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible lets us know that God is reconciling the world to himself. Why is God reconciling the world to himself? He is reconciling the world to himself because the field or the world has been bought. And what was it bought with? It was bought with the precious blood of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 18. Peter wants to serve as notice. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Who is the subject of redemption? We. We are the subject of redemption. We were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold 
from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb and without spot. You see, that blood that was shed on the cross was the redemption of our salvation. Amen. So Christ bought us. So there is no man, no pastor, nobody who will be able to buy that field because he discovered treasure. It belongs to God alone. Amen. So this story explains to us the Son of Man walking in this field, the world, discovered us who were treasures in the world, and he had such joy. I like that when he found the treasure, he was happy. He was overcome with the emotion of joy, and he paid the price for our redemption. So know that God sees you as treasure. Let this parable encourage you. I don't know how you see yourself. I don't know how people see you. But I came to read to you from the scriptures that God sees you as treasure. You are treasure enough that God will do an exchange of his real pristine divine qualities as God and take on the form of a man and redeem you with his blood. That's how precious you are. Do you know that Christ could have taken a cheaper way to buy the field, which is the world? If you don't believe me, look at look at um, Matthew chapter 4 with me. Matthew chapter 4. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed them all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. In Matthew chapter 13, the field. The devil showed him, and then he gave him the price. All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. You will receive the world. But Christ chose a higher payment. Rather than worshiping the devil in exchange for ownership of the world, Christ rather bought it. He redeemed the world with his blood because you are treasure. And I like the story of the parable of the treasure because the Bible lets us know that the man sold everything he had. You see, for Christ to pay for our salvation, he emptied himself. Kenosis in the Greek left no stone unturned so that you and I could experience salvation. Why? Because he saw us as treasure. 
take solace in that. I don't know how you see yourself, but I came to tell you how God sees you. He sees you as treasure. You are that important to God. That is why he will do all these transactions and all these redemptive processes for your salvation. Amen. Do you all get it? Now, let's look at the second parable, which is in the same verse we read. I saw some people just logged on late. So if you logged on late, we are reading from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. So verses 44 to 45 covers one parable. And we are looking at verse 46. I'm sorry, verse 44 covers only one parable. Verses 45 to 46 covers the second parable. Today, in our, in our lesson, we are tackling two parables in one. So the parables in question are the parables of the hidden treasure and of the valuable pearl. The parables of the hidden treasure and of the valuable pearl. So now that we've looked at the parable of the hidden treasure, let us go on to look at the second parable, which talks about the, the parable of the valuable pearl. So verses 45 to 46, I read. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. That's a trader. So if I want to use the word trader. A trader seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The second parable goes on to establish this same truth by way of repetition. You know, in the Bible, when something is said more than once, you got to pay attention to it. So, like the first three parables that we've done so far, we've done the parable of the tares, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of the yeast. All these three parables have one recurring theme. Corruption among kingdom community. That's something that we have to take very serious. Corruption among kingdom community. So, so Christ took his time to give us three parables. Tears were sold in a wheat field. The parable of the mustard seed. The parable of the yeast. The parable of the mustard seed. It grew. The seed grew. Had some unusual monstrosity in its growth that birds of the air came to nest in its branches. It was talking to us about corruption again among kingdom community. And then the parable of the yeast that we did last week. The parable of the yeast talks to us about a woman took yeast, hid it in a measure of flour until the whole flour was yeasted. It spoke to us again about corruption among kingdom community. So Christ used these three parables just to talk to us about corruption. It is something that we have to pay attention. So for Christ also to talk about our salvation, which came at the price of transaction and redemption, and for him to repeat the same story here means he's trying to get our attention 
to how precious our salvation is. So the second parable is like unto the first one. It explains to us that the Son of Man, that was Christ, is pictured as a trader here who is seeking for beautiful pearls. And when he found one of great price, he went all out. He sold everything he had just to buy. And that word buy is redemption. So this is explaining to us the importance of our salvation. It came at a heavy price. So Christ came on this earth, not for an excursion. So of these two parables, all that Jesus is trying to let his people know is that I didn't come on this earth for an excursion. I didn't come on this earth on a tourist visa. You know, when you travel to another country, sometimes one of the questions they will ask you at customs, what's the purpose of your visit? Is it for business? Is it for pleasure? Holidays, whatever. You see, Jesus did not come for tourism. He didn't come for holidays. Jesus came for business. He came to seek. You see, Jesus did the seeking. He sucked us. He sucked us. That is why he's revealed to us. We can't find him. We can't, we can't find him. We can't. We can't find him. He sucked us. He sucked us. And it is because of his mercy, that is why he's revealed to us. And when he's revealed to us, that is when we can receive him as our Lord and personal Savior. We can't find him. That is why even in Isaiah, the, the Bible says that, seek the Lord whilst he may be found. Now, my question to you is that when Isaiah made that proclamation to Israel, how many of them sought the Lord and found him? That's the question. That, that's in the Bible, right? In Isaiah, seek the Lord whilst he may be found. Now, my question to you is that, how many of them sought the Lord and how many of them found him? If God doesn't reveal himself, if Christ doesn't reveal himself, you can't find him. So we, we are recipients of salvation because he, he revealed himself unto us and we receive them by faith. Amen. We can't find him. So in this picture, which talks about the trader seeking for pearls, he sought for pearls. Sucked for us. He sucked for us. And when he found us, the Bible lets us know that he sold everything he had and paid a heavy price. It's talking to us about the price of our salvation here. We were lost. We were lost. We were on our way to hell. But Christ didn't give up on us. Look at all the extensive and expensive transactions that had to take place for our redemption. It shows how much Christ loves us.
it shows how Christ values us. It shows how our salvation is of needful importance. So what can we take from this story, Paul? Apart from just falling in love with how God sees you, please, let's also extend that courtesy and that love to those who are lost that need to be found. Amen. So from these two stories, Christ paid a heavy price in our redemption so that we can be the family of God. And we being the family of God, it has to show in us forming after the like manner of Christ. Last week, Sunday, I mentioned the word character formation. We, we have to form. We have to form into the like manner of Christ. And it happens when we renew our mind. That is how we embrace the kingdom of God. And that's why we keep establishing uh, the kingdom of God by its definition as a way of life. If we will want to embrace this way of life, we will have to come to a place where we are forming in the like manner of Christ. That, that is our way to say thank you to God for paying such a heavy price for our salvation, for our redemption. Our only way we can say thank you to him is that we will worship you. And the way we, 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 we express worship is not only by singing, but by obedience. Do you remember once upon a time, Abraham told his servants when he was taking Isaac to the mountain to go and sacrifice it. He said, we are going to worship the Lord. Now, my question is, where was the instruments? Where was the song? Where was Mr. Hayford or even Lily to kill the songs and lead us into a time of worship? They were not there during that time. Because when Abraham was talking about worship, it had nothing to do with songs. It had nothing to do with, oh, let's blast some song on YouTube and then just uh, sing along the chorus. No, no, no. That was not worship. Worship meant we were going to obey God. So our, our form of worship, just to say thank you to the Lord for paying such a heavy price for our salvation, means we will obey him. That's also worship. Amen. So with that... We've come to the end of our, our, our lesson today, which has to do with two parables, the parable of the treasure, the hidden treasure, and the parable of the valuable pearl. You and I are treasures. You and I are valuable pearls. And please, how Christ sees us we should also see people who haven't received Christ as their Lord and personal Savior as treasures and as valuable pearls. Listen, Christ is now gone to heaven. He's not going to come back and find pearls. He's not going to come back and find treasure. We are here. We are his representatives. We have been charged with sending the gospel. And as we enter into this Friends and Family Month, have the heart of Christ, have the mind of Christ that I'm going to see people who have not received the gospel and who have not come into the saving knowledge of his grace as 
treasures and as pearls. Because when we change how we see people, we will have the heart of Christ just to send the gospel to them. So please think about this as we enter into the month of September, which will be our friends and family month. Amen. I think that's all I'll have for tonight. If you have any questions or contributions, you are welcome. God bless you. I'm done. Any questions, contributions? Do you want me to go over? Say something, emoji. Let me know. I just saw one person log on. So if you all understand, which of you can just sort of give some sort of summation so that the person who just logged on can uh, get the head and the tail of our teaching tonight. Because I believe we all understand. So who will help Pastor Lamelo Hayford to get the head and the tail of what we've touched on tonight? Oh, please, I need some contributors. Don't be quiet on me. I need some contributors. Okay. Good evening. It's Pastor Jessica. Um, okay, so we discussed... Um, sorry, let me make sure I got it right. Cause... Matt, yeah, Matthew 13. Uh, verses 44 to 46. Um, at least this is what I received from it sometimes. Maybe if I miss some detail, others can fill it in. But um, we talked about uh, basically uh, salvation and um, how it is something that uh, isn't necessarily free. So I, um, I believe we're looking at you know, the fact that it was something precious, right? The parable says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. And so uh, pearls are something that are very exquisite, very sought after. And so uh, you were likening that to salvation. And so our salvation is sometimes it's free, right? And we can, we sometimes, I believe, cheapen it uh, by how we see it. And so we have to realize that it was something that was bought for us. So it's very expensive and it's very high quality. And we have to understand that, that uh, what Jesus did for us came at an extremely high price. And I like how you, you tied everything in. 
um, it, yeah, the, amen. That's that's basically what I got. From amen. Thank you. God bless you. Who else? Any volunteer? Nobody? Pastor, you can talk. I see that your hand is raised. Okay. Yeah, I just I just wanted other people to chat. I didn't want to take up all the time. So um oh she says she can't hear Shaklana. Oh. I think her internet. Yeah. It's her internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so the second part of the power, I just wanted to add something which is um, kind of what I was thinking, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Um, we don't always treasure our salvation. Um, and I think like something like a teaching like this, I think is good because it refreshes you on how expensive our salvation actually was. You know, as you were talking and teaching us, that's one of the things that really came to me was like, yeah, wow, really, it's true. Like everything that Jesus went through on the cross of Calvary, even before he even got to the cross, you know, the humiliation, the embarrassment of having to live like us when he has absolutely everything and he's catered for you know his every beck and call there's a celestial being or an angel just ministering to him all the time like why would you want to come off of that to be with humanity with the dirt uncleanliness with the struggles with the sin why would you do that and only a loving god would come down like that to meet us where we are, to, to understand who we are, who understood who we are, who felt our pain. Um, even the scripture says it, that he understands every pain, right, of everybody that uh, who goes through in their sufferings so that he can minister to every need. And that's very powerful. Along with his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, where he was stripped naked, uh, bled his blood shed for our sins and our salvation. So it's extremely powerful and, and it's something that we need to be reminded of. So I wanted to bring it out again. Amen. Amen. Powerful. God bless you. Who else? Nobody has anything to say. 
All right, if we have no question or contribution, then let's close. I want us to just pray one prayer. In these two parables, we saw Jesus' heart is exhibited in the man seeking for the treasure and the trader looking for great pearls. These parables signifies to us the heart of Jesus towards the world. And since he has left this earth by ascension and left us as representatives and stewards of the mysteries of the gospel, we need that heart to be able to take the gospel. We need that heart to take the gospel to a friend. We need that heart to take the gospel to a family member. We need that heart to, to tell the gospel to a stranger that we don't even know. We need that heart. We, we need that heart. So we will just want to pray this evening for the next two or three minutes that Lord give us a heart. That heart that will cause a man to go through a field searching for a treasure that he will do everything possible to buy that field only because he found that treasure. Give us that heart, O oh Lord, to be like that merchant in that story who searched for a pearl of a great price and when he found it, he sold everything just to buy that pearl. Give us that heart, Lord. Give us that heart. Let's begin to pray. Let our heart burn, Lord. Let our heart burn. Let our heart burn with passion for souls, O Lord. May, may we have your hearts beat, O Lord. May our heart beat for souls, O Lord. Thank you, O Lord, that you paid this great price. The price of redemption was at stake for our salvation. Look at the transaction that took place, all because you loved us. Father, pour in us that love. That same love, O oh Lord, that we will minister the gospel to anybody that is lost. Give us that same love that will reveal Christ through our way of life, through witnessing of the word, O oh Lord. Give us that same love. May we be fruitful, Lord. May we have souls. May we may we witness. May we minister, may we not be self-seeking, but may we fulfill that scripture in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, that we should look out for the interest of one another. In the area of salvation, Lord, may we not be inward looking, but may we look out for the interest of people who are not saved. Give us that bed and give us that desire. Give us the boldness to witness. 
May, may we not have apathy when it comes to witnessing. May we not be slow when it comes to witnessing. May we not develop lethargy when it comes to witnessing. Father, spark in us a revival. Give us that zeal and that desire to win souls. Give us that zeal to be bold and unashamed of our faith in Christ. Give us that zeal to tell people of the gospel. Give us that zeal to tell people of your love. Give us that zeal to tell people of the significance of your crucifixion, your death, your barrier, and your resurrection. Give us that zeal, O Lord, to tell people of your love, your great love that you've shown towards us. Give us that zeal to tell people of your redemption story. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. May we live here with touched hearts, O Lord. May we live here with new desires, a desire to witness, a desire to pray for souls. Father, give us the desire to that when we are praying, we will not just pray for our needs, but we will pray for souls. Give us that desire, O Lord, that desire to talk to people, that desire, that desire to talk to people who are not even of our kin, that desire, O Lord. Touch our hearts, O Lord. Let our hearts burn with the gospel. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for doing a new thing in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Kindly take this, um, take note of these following announcements. Please remember that September, that's uh um What's today's date? I believe today is 29th, right? 31st. And, and 30th. Some... 30th. 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 Yeah. Now, it's 30th in some places. I believe it's 29th in some places, if, if my memory serves me right. Amen. Yeah. Anyway, but September, that's from 1st to 30th. It's our friends and family month. So from the 1st to the 30th, we'll be sending flyers with prayer topics and scriptures that we can use as a point of contact to pray for our family and friends, especially those who are sick. So please, let's all join in. Let's all participate, okay? So when we get the flyer, just on your own, spend some few minutes just praying, reading on the scripture, meditating, and let's prime ourselves up, ready to witness the gospel to our friends and family. Amen. Uh, September 2nd, we are praying on this platform on Saturday morning from 7 to 8. So please, let's do well to attend. Uh, as we all know, per tradition, every first Saturday of the month, we meet for prayer. So let's do that. Uh, Sunday 3rd. Um, it's communion Sunday and every first Sunday of the month we do take communion and we didn't make that announcement on Sunday so I thought I should just slip that in amen and most importantly 11th to 30th we'll be praying for 21 days corporately as a church on this Zoom platform every evening from 7 to 7.30 so if you do remember last year by September, we were praying 30 minutes every day, all right? So 
Um, this time we are starting on the 11th. We'll finish on the 30th. So that'll be 21 days. So for that for, for that period, we'll be praying from 7 to 7.30. Okay. So September is our 30 for 30. We want to commit ourselves to praying 30 minutes for 30 days. Not for your need, not for your breakthrough, but for the salvation of a friend and a family member. That's why September is our friends and family month. And then October 1st will be our friends and family service. So God bless you all. Thank you all for your participation uh, in tonight's Bible study. God bless you. Have a very blessed week. And God willing, uh, may we all have a very blessed and a fruitful service at our respective Sunday services. Good night. God bless.